The Lifestylist, episode 62, featuring Psalm Isadora. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. My name is Luke Story, and you are listening to The Lifestylist Podcast, and it is with a heavy heart that I deliver this episode's introduction. I have to say that in the 62 episodes that I've recorded of this show in the past 9, 10 months, whatever it's been, this has absolutely been the most difficult intro, the most difficult outro, the most difficult show to actually produce and release due to the fact that our guest unfortunately passed away in the time since the recording and the date of this planned release. And our guest name is Psalm Isadora. I recorded this episode in Venice, California at her home on February 10th, 2017. And sadly, Psalm took her own life March 26, 2017, a mere 45 days after this recording. And so, as you can imagine, I've been conflicted as to how to handle this with grace, dignity, respect. I thought about perhaps not putting the episode out. I talked to a few people that I respect um, about their opinions on it. And there were some strong points for the idea of releasing the episode and um, not so many, but a couple things to consider in terms of perhaps not putting it out. And in the end, I really just had to go to my own intuition my own uh, prayer life and really just look inside and determine what I feel would have been Psalm's wishes in terms of putting out the interview that we did, um, both in audio and video. And the resounding feeling that I've continued to get is that she wanted to do the show and she had a lot of beautiful things to say and it was an amazing interview and she was so full of life. She was so actually so happy and had so much good information and good energy and love and was just such a fantastic person. And we had such a great interview. And uh, the bottom line is, you know, she was excited about doing it and really excited about the release and asked me when it was coming out and we were texting afterward. And um, obviously I just had no idea that uh, she would meet such an unfortunate demise um, so soon after we recorded it. And so here we are. Uh, It's the (laughs) Sunday evening before my show is to come out Tuesday. This was supposed to come out weeks ago. I've put it off week after week, uh, largely due to the fact that it was just, you know, a difficult decision to make and just a difficult way to introduce this. And so I'm ad-libbing this and putting this out into the universe. And um, for her fans, friends, family, and wherever she is in whatever form uh, her spirit has taken in tribute to her. And in this interview, Psalm, who was a teacher, author, speaker, who taught sexual healing through workshops, videos, documentaries, trainings all over the world, uh, we talked about sexuality as a healing tool. And I think that was something that was a bit of a struggle was just like, God, is it is it not tactful to put out like a show about sex um, in a sensational way? after someone had passed so tragically. And ultimately, I listened through to the interview, to the episode, and, you know, it really ended up being more about overcoming shame, 
and experiencing true intimacy through the practice of tantric sex and other different techniques and things that Psalm had developed and learned over the years and her trips to India and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, honestly, we just had so much in common. We both experienced um, sexual trauma as a kid. She shared with me um, rather candidly on the show about her, you know, struggles with drugs and alcohol in the past, and that's in my story. And I just really felt a lot of camaraderie with her, and we just had... I said, just a lot in common in terms of just core issues. And it was a very enlightening episode for me in terms of my own, you know, experience with my sexuality and how it's hurt me at times and helped me at other times. And I just think she had so much to offer the world. And, and she just literally has thousands of fans and followers out there. And this episode, in listening back to it, was just too full of life and love and wisdom to not share. And so better or for worse, you know, as I said, I had to follow my intuition and, um, and just do that. And so what you're about to hear is perhaps one of the last interviews that Psalm did, uh, to my awareness. And um, I trust that you're going to treat it with the respect and reverence that I do. And um, by no means whatsoever is it meant to be um, sensational in terms of the content being sexually driven. Um, some of it is a bit how-to and, you know just sort of like the practice of sex acts and stuff, but really it's more about the inside, you know, and, and having listened to it now and thinking about the fact that she did in fact take her own life, um, you know, you can hear the struggle and you can hear the pain, you can hear the trauma and all of the shame that she worked so hard to overcome and helped so many people to overcome. And so as a takeaway for you, the listener, I'd like you just to really consider your own life or someone that you know and love and, um, you know, and I think this kind of information is just really important to get out there because let's face it, this is part of the human condition, depression, anxiety, suicide, death, family trauma, sexual abuse. A lot of the things that we covered in this episode are so common to so many of us, yet so many of these aspects of our human experience are kept in the shadows, are kept quiet, are shrouded in secrecy. And part of my mission on the earth is to bring some of these things to light. And it was absolutely Psalm's mission to do the same. So in bringing you this episode, I would like to offer a blessing and a prayer to Psalm, her friends, her family, her fans, and may God rest her soul wherever it may be. Psalm Isadora was the top Tantra expert in the world and a highly sought-after sexuality, relationship, and trauma expert who specialized in women's health and empowerment as well as modern sexual education. She was featured on CNN's award-winning docuseries, This Is Life with Lisa Ling. She reached over 66 million homes as the star of Playboy TV's reality show, Cougar Club. She was also a featured expert in BuzzFeed's newest web series, Modern Sex, and founder of global sex coaching program, Urban Kama Sutra. Isadora was able to blend beauty with brains as she inspired the next generation of sexually empowered women. Psalm also created O-Yoga, a combination of yoga, belly dance, and burlesque to help women unlock their inner sex goddess. Her groundbreaking work has been featured on the cover of Ohm Yoga Magazine, NPR, Huffington Post, iHeartRadio, Mashable, and KABC's Midday Live with Dr. Drew. Psalm demystified the ancient secrets of Tantra to make them accessible to modern masses in what she called the Yoga of Sex. Her sexy, soulful, and spiritual approach to breaking sexual taboo made her equally popular with male and female audiences. She specialized in helping women have better sex and helping men reach their peak performance. Raised in a religious cult as a child, Isadora endured years of sexual trauma that eventually ignited her passion to teach sexual empowerment and modern sexual education. 
In 2007, Isadora traveled to India to immerse herself in the ancient teachings of Tantra to facilitate deep healing and discover her own path as a healer. For eight years, Isadora traveled to India to delve deeper into the path of Tantra and teach yoga to sex-trafficked women in the red-light district of Calcutta. Her volunteer work with the young prostitutes of Calcutta would eventually become part of a documentary called Shakti. From public speaking to TV appearances, Sam Isadora was able to infuse her message with intelligence, wit, and humor to keep audiences engaged, inspired, and begging for more. It's with a heavy heart, deep gratitude, reverence, and respect that I offer you this interview with Sam Isadora. So here we are with Sam Isadora. I want to welcome you to the Lifestylist Podcast. Thank you. Super great to meet you. Yeah. I've been studying all of your videos. Really? Some of the ones of you talking, some of the ones that are more graphic, and Mm -hmm. I have to say I'm thrilled to be here. (laughs) I hope I can live up to your expectations. For sure. And I also want to say, Mom, Dad, if you're listening to this episode of my show, you might want to turn it off now because this could get dirty. Or children. Yeah, children. (laughs) If you have children, you don't want to learn about sex positive and healthy Sexuality. Which I think kids should learn that, I, actually. I, I do agree, We'd have a lot less rapists running around the planet if we did teach kids about it. You know, I, Side I don't note. want to jump off yeah, yeah. We'll get so there. hard. We'll get there. Yeah, but, I, but one of the things I say is we would live in a very different world if I think like men were taught how to train their dicks instead of women had to cover their bodies. I'm with that. Can you imagine? For like, sure. In an ISIS training camp and... Yeah. There's a naked woman walking around <laughs> like, thou shalt not rape. Right, right. Look her in the eyes. Yeah. Still a person. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's her choice. That's good. Her body, her choice. What a way. I've never started a podcast like this. Okay. Usually it's <laughs> like, okay, so what's your story? No, but seriously, how'd you get into this? So you're a sex coach, sex teacher, mm-hmm. tantric sex expert. You're a yogi. You're into all of this really cool stuff. You have a wealth of information, which, as I said, I've been studying How did you end up at this place where this became your life's work and your mission? Um, You know, I, I feel like it wasn't a choice. And I feel like when, you know, when you've lived through certain experiences and you have to find your own healing, a certain type of person feels like then it's their job to teach that to other people or empower other people. So I grew up like very, very different (laughs) from this idea of a sex expert or, you know, like a sexually liberated woman. Like like it's funny now because people say, oh, you seem so confident or so free. And I grew up the exact opposite of this. Based on my research, which I do quite a bit of before Mm -hmm. I interview someone, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you grew up at least part of the time in sort of a Christian cult kind of commune type situation. Yeah, so Psalm is actually my real name. And I grew up in a Christian cult. And it was kind of like, I guess, being Amish. It was in Northern California. I grew up in a cabin with no running water, no electricity. and You were like an early minimalist. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like. um, you know, and, and the idea was, I think, our parents were from the hippie generation, and they said, you know, mainstream society isn't good, so let's recreate and go minimalist. Um, but when I grew up there, you know, what I found, and in a lot of cults where there's so much idealism, um, there's a lot of shadow. 
So I grew up there and I'd wake up every morning and go do like my chores to milk the goats and um, put on like a full dress, you know, that covered me from head to toe. Where in Northern California was this? Mendocino. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. from Sonoma County. Okay. So I didn't know that was happening up there. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it's that's not interesting. Hap- not happening everywhere. Yeah, it was yeah. unusual even then. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the messaging was, you know, cover your body because yeah. as a female, you know, if you don't cover your body, you'll make men sin. And... You know, so from a very young age, I took on this messaging that if anything did happen, it was my fault. Like, you know, I would have called it on myself, right? I I did something. I looked at someone a certain way. I wore the wrong thing. Um, And so I think, you know, that kind of shame around, like, feminine sexuality and the female body and sex in general for men and women is something completely endemic in our society. And growing up in that Christian environment where I was told, you know, if you follow these rules, those things won't happen, I was still molested. And then because... God, what an extra mind fuck. Like, well, well, then... I mean, abuse is one thing, but in that environment where like... Well, then it's like... It's so backwards. you because... Oh, then there's like the extra guilt. Because I too am a survivor of... um, a lot of different types of abuse, but sexual being one of them. You know, and you there's know, like, there's so much, I never felt like I deserved it or I did anything like that. I just had a lot of shame about it happening but you know, for a lot so, of my life, but and, that's an added level of like... But I applaud you for saying gnarly. that because I actually think that it's more difficult for men to talk about sexual trauma than for women. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, because I, I think there's just, again, we talk about culturally, men aren't allowed to talk about their feelings as much. And definitely about, like, sexual abuse. So, you know, when we talk about, like, trauma um, or uh, just, I mean, even if people haven't had trauma to the extent that I did, you know, growing up on a Christian commune, having sexual abuse, and then really feeling, you know, that it was my fault and so much silence. And I think the silence is like, you know, that's the thing that kills you. It's like, I used to feel like, you know, if I say anything... You know, I don't want my abusers to be in trouble or I don't want to be blamed. And so I really, I feel like shame around sexuality is probably one of the biggest, you know, killers yeah, <laughs> in our society. And, and that's why we have to create uh, sex positive culture, meaning sex positive is like understanding like a healthy life is a healthy sexual life and healthy sexuality is part of being healthy. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, indigenous people and I'm no Mm. history expert by any stretch but I have a friend that's really into like ancient cultures and stuff and the way that like a natural human approaches sexuality the way children are introduced I mean Mm. going back pre-agriculture the way children are introduced to sexuality the whole human body thing covering up like we have a very warped (laughs) <laughs> sort of system going now and have for thousands of years with the advent of religion and all well, this what, stuff. Well, what's interesting though, I mean, it's if you like, take a very big view, yeah, it's been for about 3,000 years and it wasn't always like that. So, you know, that was my journey is going from this sort of myopic Christian cult being taught, cover your body, sex is a sin unless you're married. And just overall, just not talking about sex or sexuality in a way that that would allow anything to be healthy. Um, and I grew up like that and then ended up having the abuse, 
staying silent about it, taking years to find my voice. And how did you and how did you end up talking about it? And to whom did you finally let the secret out? Was it in therapy, or did you find someone? You know, it took me a long time. And and before I found my voice, I actually spent years of kind of like addictive and self-destructive behavior, which I find is very common. So, (laughs) uh, for how else can you deal? For like, any that's, kind that's of what trauma, I did. but, you know, then sexual trauma has this added layer that society's extra uncomfortable with the taboo. And so, you know, I spent years using, like, drugs, sex, anything to just escape that kind of pain. And when I did go to therapy, it was talk therapy, and it still didn't, like, really help me embody Myself, um, but that was the first time you like divulged that secret, or had you had anyone friends or anyone that you confided? I think that was probably the first in? time that I did. Was I went to talk therapy, and I remember thinking like, if I don't do something, I felt like I might have been suicidal. Right, and I was a young like single mom, so that wasn't an option. So I had to find a way to deal with like the trauma and try and start a healing process, but talk therapy and then and then being diagnosed as like depressive and with anxiety and got I got put on a lot of meds and you know it didn't really help I just like I remember I gained like 20 pounds laid in bed and didn't want to go anywhere being on meds yeah and um at the time I thought they'd fix me so I was fine you know I was like okay if this will fix me I'll do it but it didn't and it took me another few years, and I finally hit a rock bottom, and I ended up in an emergency room, and I, I think I had that moment, you know, that, that sometimes people have, and I said, if, if I don't take responsibility for my life, and, you know, my trauma was sexual, but um, if I don't do that and I keep playing the victim and ending up, you know, in this situation again and again because I want my parents to save me or someone to come save me, a man to come and save me, I finally just realized, you know, you know, this isn't going to work. This is why you're here. This is why you make the choices you make in your life subconsciously. And some voice woke up and it was like, mm, no, it was like, you've got to, you know, you've got to make different choices. And how does that end up to where you create a brand and an educational <laughs> platform and becoming an expert on that to help other people expand their sexuality and to heal from their own trauma? I mean, I guess like you're working on yourself and then at some point was it for you? Because it's how it happened for me is at one point I realized like, shit, it's been 20 years. (laughs) I've been working on a lot of stuff and learning about a lot of stuff. And then there's enough people around that seem to want to know about it. And it was like, ding, light bulb came on. Shit, I guess I could have a podcast and like start (laughs) sharing some of this stuff. So what what was your aha moment when you're like, wow, I really know some stuff. I've I've achieved some degree of of understanding. My aha moment was from day one. Mm. I was in the emergency room and I'm like, and I was already broke. And I'm like a single mom with a 12-year-old kid with no money. And it's like, I'm already screwed up. That's why I'm in the emergency room. Mm, I don't have money now for the bill that they're gonna charge me thousands of dollars for being here. And I just remember like I prayed and I felt there, you know, I think faith are those moments where you feel like something greater than me is out there. And I just was like, okay, God, if you like get me out of this and help me find the way, I will help everyone else who struggles with this. And, you know, for me, that's more than just sexuality. I teach 
sacred sexuality and tantra and sex positive. But it's really um, just helping people find a way to let go of whatever traumas are holding them back so that they can like move forward in their life and have positive energy. It's interesting that you talk about in your work using your own sexuality mm. as a tool to overcome shame and to overcome the scars of trauma. Mm. And what's been <laughs> more common in my experience and witnessing people in that of my own life is that like my reaction to trauma and abuse was to actually, like you kind of started to say, was to medicate. In other words, like mm. I think that experience adversely affected me sexually and how I dealt with the shame was like more addictive behavior and mm. more acting out and like having kind of like an unhealthy relationship to sex for a long time. Like yeah. I always felt like my early sexual trauma like ruined me sexually, <laughs> not something that I could like benefit from and use for healing. You know, it's an interesting concept and well, you're I the only one I've ever heard like talk about that. So how, how can one mm. heal from sex problems using sex? It's sort of like, you cut yourself with a knife and you're going to fix the wound with another knife or something. Like, I can't get my head around it. Well, do you, are you breathing? Yes, I'm breathing. Can you stop breathing? Not for very long. Did you get here by people having sex? Yeah. So sex is a part of human nature. Yes. Freud called it your id. Yeah. So if we want to be healthy, we have to learn how to make our sexuality healthy. And so I, you can't run away from it. And there's a lot of, I think... Um, spirituality or practices where people just try and avoid that and fix everything else in their life or become a monk or a nun or whatever that is. Yeah. Or they get married and they're like, I'm not going to look at that. And then they end up cheating <laughs> or right. whatever it is. Right. I mean, um, look at the Catholic Church. Like, that's yeah. one demonstration of how that doesn't work. And no offense to Catholics, I'm sure there's a lot mm -hmm. of Catholics that don't molest people, but. <laughs> There's obviously a there's lot of who don't, <laughs> there's a lot of sexual <laughs> repression going yeah. on there just for an example of what happens when you try to deny that. So mm -hmm. it's just it's interesting because I can definitely see like if I look at my friends who, you know, guys that are my age and were kind of similar in lifestyle and beliefs and stuff that didn't have sexual trauma, they definitely seem a lot more normal than mm. me sexually in terms of appetite and just kink and whatever like I'm definitely like the black sheep and the only difference about me is that that happens so it seems like to me it's sort of having that sexual trauma um, made me have to like really work on the sex thing a lot more not because I'm not expressing it because I've expressed it too much it's like I became sort of hypersexualized. Well, does it go that way too again to me it's like breath it's like food right so if you had an issue with food you have to learn how to have a healthy relationship with food. Okay. There you, know, you go. You, yeah. You can't just avoid sex. And even if you stopped having sex, to do that in a way that you say that you understand sexual energy isn't about having sex. It's in India they call it Shakti. It is the force that creates life. And it's feminine. And I think that in the world we live in now there's a big imbalance and that people have like made an an enemy of their sensuality, their sexuality, their embodiment, the world of creation. And so all those things are either shoved into kind of their smallest or lowest or darkest pocket of like porn, you know, or something that, that isn't very elevated. Right. And then when people start doing spiritual work, they don't include sexuality. 
That is true because a lot of people that go on the spiritual path like become renunciates, you know, and they like give up sex and become a monk and like deny that part of themselves. And I never really identified with that. That never mm. seemed like it doesn't seem like you're a holistic, like complete human being without that. And I guess the missing link is kind of what I'm getting from you is the healthy version of your sexuality, which is in my own life of eventually I've come to like become more healthy where I'm not being inappropriate and acting out well, and doing so, things. So what would be healthy to you? To find a sense of balance mm-hmm. where my own sexuality and my behavior isn't harmful to myself or harmful to other people, but it's being expressed in a way that isn't holding it back either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's why we're here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's why you came to ask me about Tanya. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, that's like such a great, obviously it's such a great topic for everyone, myself mm-hmm. included, because it's like the work that I've done on myself over the years has made me much healthier sexually, mm-hmm. but I'm still a super sexual person. So it's always, mm-hmm. you know, it, well, it's like I, find, finding a, a balance where it's not something you're repressing, you're expressing it in a way, but in a way that doesn't like fuck your life up, you know? Well, so I like to say people are kind of on a scale of hypersexual and hyposexual. And you have some people, whether or not they've experienced trauma or abuse, but there'll be more hypersexual people and more hyposexual people. And hypersexual people, it sounds like that's what you're saying. You're, you feel like you have a lot of sexual energy and you have to find a way to channel it so it isn't destructive. And someone who's hyposexual, it's like one out of three women have never had an orgasm. Oh my god! Is that is that a real statistic? Yeah, that's one out of three. Mm -hmm. What the hell? How is that possible? It's possible. And I mean, I I mean, I recently. Oh my god! That is so wrong. One of the most kind of touching and amazing stories to me was a woman I worked with who's fifty three and didn't have an orgasm until she was fifty three years old, and a grandma. God. A very sexy grandma, a gilf. God, you have a, a gilf. <laughs> That's funny. I, I say but, that too. But meaning like, you know, she'd been married, she'd had kids, and she'd never given herself permission to feel that pleasure. And I really like, to me, that's so sad. That's like so much of a life that's unexpressed. Oh, my God. Especially for women. I mean, I feel like women, like, have such a deeper expression of orgasm that's mm. possible for them. Well, women, women can have multiple orgasms. It's much easier. <laughs> that's than what that. I'm saying. I mean, mm. I you know, I only have my own subjective male orgasm experience, but they're all kind of the same. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like every orga- every orgasm is the same. Ish. Some <laughs> more powerful than others, but my experience with women is that I mean, I mean, I've been with women that have an orgasm from like nipple stimulation. It's a different one than they well, have yeah. cervical and vaginal mm-hmm. and clitoral and even anal. You know, I mean, there's like a lot of different, and then within that, there's like totally different expressions of each different type. This is my own, I mean, hetero I t- guy, t- like weird, you know, like um, simplification of it. But I'm, it's like a travesty that a woman would go through like past her early adult life and not have any type of orgasm. I can't even fathom that. Because yeah. it's such a beautiful part of the female experience. Well, I think it's also a beautiful part of the sensual sexual experience. So again, if I have a 53-year-old woman who's had kids and had sex for 30 years and never was able to let go. Right, right. To allow herself to feel that much pleasure. It isn't, it isn't about creating this like, oh my God, you have an orgasm, something's wrong with you. It's saying, have you just been able to let go to be yourself? Right. Because if you do, then that's very natural. 
did you help this woman have her first one? I did. Wow. Did she, she must have like left all of, like put you in her will and left her entire estate to you. <laughs> like she must be really indebted to you. That's, that's a gift, man. That's a, that's a what real gift. What was amazing is it, it was a 53 year old woman who came to one of my coachings and certifications. And right before she came, she almost canceled because she said, I'm about to be a grandma. Right. And I want to be a good grandma. I should da, 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 stay home. And I said, well, why can't you do both? Why can't you be a good grandma and also, like, you know, break the paradigm of what it is to be a female? Like, enjoy your sensuality for yourself and be a good woman, a good grandma, a good whatever. So she showed up, and in a few months in, she comes, she goes, she's like, Sam. I just had my first orgasm ever. And wow. I was like, great. <laughs> but I was like, you know, that's like every day yeah, yeah, <laughs> of my yeah. life, you know. And wow. I was like, to me, that's just energy. You released yeah. a pocket yeah. of, you know, repressed energy. Did you ever figure out why she had yeah, actually, denied herself that? I, why I she was did. shut down? And we did in an interesting way because um, later this year, an episode is coming out on CNN where they covered my work. And so I put her in what I call my hot seat to get to the bottom of it. And I said, okay, so, you know, you told me you didn't have an orgasm to your 53. What was it that allowed you to have that kind of a breakthrough? And why didn't you feel you could have an orgasm before? And she said that she always felt guilty before that. And I said, what made you feel guilty? Like, do you have a specific memory that you recall? And at first she's like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, just close your eyes and like take a deep breath and just describe to me like it was a scene in the movie. Because I always say the issues are in your tissues. People spend a lot of time talking in their heads, but they don't like get to where it lives in their body and your body doesn't lie. So I had her take a few deep breaths and she said, you know, I said, do you see like a scene like in a movie where you started feeling ashamed about pleasure? And she said, yeah, I was in summer camp. I was 12 years old and the camp counselor was 19. He came to my tent and he made out with me. And so I said, okay. And what did the other girls say? And she said, well, they all called me a slut. And I said, okay, well, let's release this now completely. And I said, so as a 53-year-old woman, I want you to take a stand for the 12-year-old girl who didn't have a voice and what would you say to that 19-year-old camp counselor? And she said, I would say you had no right to put your fingers inside me or to have sex with me. So she had literally been carrying around that much shame and guilt because, you know, she felt it was her fault that she'd worn something, done something, somehow called this experience, you know, onto herself because the other girls had called her a slut. Yeah. And that at 53, she still had not owned what had happened and was saying, he made out with me. Right. So more came out when you actually had her verbalize. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, was, yeah, pretty, yeah. it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Like, I gave her, like, permission to just, I was like, yeah. break through, you know, that silence. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think we've seen an amazing year, like, Kesha spoke out. Oh, yeah? I didn't catch abuse. that. And... Lady Gaga had an Oscar-nominated song for a movie that was about um, a lot of the rape culture on college campuses. 
And, you know, for me, it isn't making like an enemy of either side. It's saying we, we you know, we have, we have this issue in our society and we yeah. need to find a way yeah. to be more healthy together as men, as women. Yeah. Hot damn. Hot <laughs> that's a great story i was like i was fully drawn in on the woman i'm just like god poor thing man that sucks well but it's it sucks cool until she was now she's like 53 having she's amazing a probably orgasms. a beast now she's like a beast and does she top, get herself a boy toy and like um, gets, take she, care of business I think she was like started dating someone oh, and cool. here's what's so amazing it isn't like oh it's about the orgasm it's understanding it's about that place where she was stuck, she was stuck many places, yeah. right? And so yeah. when she joined my course and wanted to do my coaching, my certification, she's like, I want to sell my house, I want to start painting, but I feel really stuck in my life. And after she had her orgasm and, and was able to kind of like let go, all that other creative energy moved for her and suddenly... Like she sold her house, she was painting, she was dating, wow. like, and she was radiant. Yeah. And a lot of the women I work with, the main thing you, I mean, if you saw a room full of women, you'd be like, that woman's glowing, that woman's like yeah. the radiance. That's the interesting thing. Of, I want to see your perspective on this. When a woman is expressing sexual energy versus mm. a man, mm-hmm. that it seems to me when women express that energy, that it actually, like, they capitalize on the energy and it creates more of an abundance of it. Like, it doesn't seem to be depleting. Whereas at times in my life, as an entrepreneur, the periods I've gone through where I'm expressing myself less sexually, I've been way more productive and have crushed it because that energy seems to be just bleeding out into ideas and projects Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. partnerships and business and then if I start having a lot of sex again, it's like, yeah, the productivity <laughs> sort of goes away. In other words, like sexual activity tends to like deplete my production and energy. Whereas right. women, just like you said, they radiate and they attract people and they tend to just manifest. Is it possible for a male to be fully expressing their sexuality and also be transmuting it and generating energy at the same time? Or is there like a limited supply for a man whereas women are tapped into an seemingly unlimited supply? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I I mean, I think that, you know, there's definitely, I have friends who say, you know, um, Dave from Bulletproof, he's like, you know, practices semen retention. He recommends other men do that. Um, And I think that that's, a specific technique and most people don't know how to do it. It's like easy to say, oh, just practice semen retention. But it is a very specific Yeah, good technique. luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> At least good luck hands-free. <laughs> but we'll talk about that. That's one of my questions actually later on. But carry on. Um, I do think that women are actually built to be multi-orgasmic and that women, when I went to India and studied, um, women are considered to be the shakti or the sexual energy. So women in the older... Uh, system of looking at things were more sexual than men, had multiple orgasms more than men, and that that was good for the human species. And I think at some point that became very threatening. And so there was a lot of, you know, like shame placed on female sexuality and females being. Yeah, because there's so so much power in the female sexuality, but because of that repression and the whole like, you're a slut if you're expressing that. It seems to come from the powers that be wanting to repress that because it's threatening, right? But when that's turned loose, I mean, there's nothing more magnetic and beautiful and powerful. Well, especially than understanding that. that for, I think for women, again, sex doesn't mean having to have sex. Yeah. It can just be 
I know, get that. Women are more fluid in their sexuality. So, yeah. you know, women can be very sexual and not have to perform the function of sex. I think, I think for men, yeah, yeah. And even in India, they have what they call the lingam. And the lingam is like time or the one point of focus. Right. And so in Taoism and ancient Tantra, um, it was more important for men to learn to curb their initial appetite for pleasure or ejaculation and to learn to hold on to that and to allow the woman to have multiple orgasms or more pleasure. Well, this is what I like about Omi, and I'm sure you're familiar with mm -hmm. that, right? So, <laughs> I mean, in Omi, the guy's not getting any pleasure and really no expression, but it's just bathing in that radiance from the woman, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the truest sense of that feminine energy. And I think as men, we're not really... Outside of even oming, and for those of you that are listening or watching that don't know what that is, I had an episode about it. It's orgasmic meditation. It's a technique where the woman gets stimulated in a way that's almost not even that sexual, and the guy <laughs> doesn't get anything out of it. There's no reciprocation or commerce involved, and it's well, really he gets cool. Well, a naked woman laying in front of Yeah, him. I mean, hey, there's you know, <laughs> nothing to shake a stick at there. But I, I just mean that like, as guys, um, we're you know, from being raised on pornography and Playboy yeah. magazine or whatever, it's like... We don't have an idea of expressing sexuality in any other way than like get girl naked, put it in, have sex, come, done. It's like I don't think we're most of us, unless we really explore this area, know mm -hmm. what it's like to just bathe in the feminine energy and sexual energy of a woman, like you said, without even necessarily having technical sex, but just allowing a woman a space to really express that energy. And it's like an intoxicating energy that our society has done a very good job of kind of killing off to the point where guys don't even know what that is. I think that pornography has both opened up the language to a younger generation in a way that's positive and then also negative. So I don't, I don't have like a saying like pornography has been horrible or it's yeah. been great. I think that if we can take these more open attitudes of technology and the scale and start to educate in a positive way, that the younger generations are more open-minded about sexuality. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think about now, like, oh, my God, if I was 14 years old and had an iPhone, wow, <laughs> like, be in trouble, dog. Like, seriously, the availability. I mean, I'm 46. I mean, I have a pretty high sex drive, but I'm like, I have to be weary of the iPhone, you know? It's like pornography is so prevalent now, you know, and... uh God, for kids, but I guess that's the positive side of it is that... Well, you know, one thing I always say, though, is... It's just go, all out there. It's not so hidden away. I mean, I will have mainstream news channels ask me, like, oh, my God, you know, this is so horrible for the younger generation. And I said, you know, I think that myself and most younger women I know are still in a better position than our grandmothers when sex was completely covered and hidden. So I'm not saying that the situation that we're in with so much pornography, so much availability is, you know, the answer. But if we look at social models, like countries like Norway, where they have like more um, nudity and sex on television, there's a lower rate of sexual violence. Right. In the Netherlands too, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so we can actually see how that it plays out. Yeah. Uh, and I it's think like prohibition on anything. When you prohibit yeah. something, it makes it stronger. I mean, look when they legalize drugs in Portugal. It's like, oh, cool, heroin addiction goes down fifty percent in two days. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. And the same thing too. Like you go to Amsterdam, it's like, 
you walk in the red light district. I mean, so I heard from a friend of mine who went mm-hmm. there. No, but I mean, you walk around the red light district and there's like half naked women and you can pay them 100 euros to go have sex with them. And there's like little kids walking around and it's just like a normal part of the culture. Not to say that prostitution's like the healthiest expression, but because the taboo's not there and the laws aren't there, they have like very low sexual crime there and sexual deviance because it's not being suppressed in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really important is that we open up the conversation and that we start to have education like a new kind of empowerment around sexuality, being part of our wholeness, our healthiness. Going back to my story, having grown up with this, you know, Christian um, commune, like dogma, not all Christianity is like this, but where I grew up, it was very strong. And it was like, it was up to me to cover my body or I would make somebody sin. And then when something happened, I took so much guilt and so much shame and took me a very long time you know, to finally free my voice and to to begin to speak about it and let go of, of it and then to encourage other people to not carry shame and to not carry, you know, this kind of silence around sexuality. So I, I think that it's an important time for us right now to start to really make this part of our whole beings is your your sexuality being part of your whole being. You know, you as a man, yeah. you know, like you said, like, and what do you choose to do with that? You know, yeah. Do you choose to watch pornography? And even if you did, not necessarily feeling guilty about that unless you were overusing it. But if you felt guilty about it just because you were told that it was bad, you'd probably do it more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So No, that totally makes sense. And I like your point that it's like the, the positive side of our culture being so infiltrated by sex and pornography mm-hmm. is like if I look at it from the female point of view, I mean, you have the whole side where you know, women doing it or being objectified and like there's a whole nasty kind of industry that's not that high energy. But like I look at young women now on Instagram and like they don't seem to feel like sluts at all for like (laughs) acting very slutty. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's kind of created a freedom. It seems for younger people, especially younger women to like, this is me, I'm doing me, fuck you if you don't like it. Like seems that a lot of the shame has sort of gone away just because it's so A lot of the shame has gone away, but I don't know if a lot of value and empowerment is there. Now, I'm not saying we've, like, arrived at a place, but it's definitely different than it used to be. Meaning, like, so on Instagram, you're going to have, you know, young girls, you know, in G-strings because that's what they've grown up around. or, Or now they have to do that to get any attention and compete. And we still have not taught them what, how their own body works right, so that they can value right. it and empower it and like draw boundaries. When, when women come to my class, I'm like, I don't care what you put on Instagram, you know, wear lingerie, <laughs> whatever you want to do. But I hope you have like monetized that. <laughs> so yeah, that, well, that's... You know, so that when you're 80 and, you know... Your tits fall down and your ass isn't as cute. It's still making you money. That's a good point. Because, you know, don't just get paid in attention. <laughs> That's funny. You know, which, because because I think a lot of it is still tied to that, like, self-esteem and confidence and being able to say what you want. Yeah. And because sexuality remains so often in the shadow, it's not brought to that place where we get to, you know, speak with confidence or say what we want. And then it gets expressed in these ways that are just used for validation and stuff like that. Like when you talk about like... commercialized. Right. Because when you talk about, 
you know, a woman learning about her body. I mean, obviously I haven't been in school for a long time, but can you imagine how archaic and repressed and weird like sex ed classes now? Sex, so sex ed used to be like, here's a banana, here's a condom. Yeah. I mean, how how yeah, is it now? All, Do you let's know? Say, let's say you're a girl. Yeah. Here's a banana, here's a condom. Nobody still taught you where your clitoris is. Right. Where your G spot is. Which that should those should be the first two lessons. I mean, I feel like <laughs> Vagina 101, right. you know, and, and that 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 sexual education isn't going to like make them more promiscuous. It's more likely to make them make better decisions and more informed decisions. Yeah, and value themselves more. Yeah, absolutely. and hold their sexuality more sacred. Yes. Yeah. And, Versus and, yeah, well, and a lot of parents are just living in denial because I think they don't want to deal with it or face yeah. it. So they're like, oh, I'll talk to my kid about sex some at some point. And I did a podcast with like Dr. Drew, and he's like, we need. The parents and like we need people to take like the scales off their eyes and like or take their head out of the sand and be like this is the world we live in yeah and let's use education as a form of empowerment you know so that we don't have abuse and so that we have men women young men young women older men older women appreciating their bodies and having their sexuality be part of something healthy and whole and I think that that's what's really important for sure is like letting go of the shame yeah. and finding what works for you and and even when you don't have shame and it's sex positive and sex educational you can even begin to question what do i like what feels good to me you know and and um and i think just like educating people about food they'll make better choices that's interesting as you're talking about sex education i'm thinking back to school and i'm like i i think the way I remember it is it was like biology. So there was like slides or something <laughs> up on a board or a book and it was sort of pointing out the parts of it. You're but like it, uterus. <laughs> yeah, but it was more about the anatomy than like the expression right. of that part of ourselves as a person. It was yeah. just like, here's these moving parts. Like this is your femur, this is your testicle, but not like anything else. And I was, I was actually really fortunate just reflecting now that both my parents were actually pretty progressive in that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, my dad, you know, more so like, I don't know how to say it in a way that doesn't criminalize him, but you know, he kind of told me what to do and what not to do and gave me a little coaching, which was healthy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and mom was maybe like boundaries were a little bit amiss but still was very open and it was something that was talked about in the house it wasn't mm -hmm. like some secret weird thing so I think that's why I've always been kind of free about it but um, I can only imagine what's going on now if parents aren't sort of conscious and evolved if we're still in the 1950s like sex ed <laughs> thing we have fucking problems in this country you know it's like we need everyone needs you as a mom to like <laughs> bring them in this in a, in a conscious way that's not like denying that part of their humanity and isn't also exploiting it it's like a healthy balance of that yeah i mean i, I think understanding that all you know like life is sacred and sex is life so sex is sacred and that doesn't mean, like, sacred, you have to follow someone else's rules. Like, understanding that this is sacred to, to your own self, to your own being, without any shame. And that we all have to, like, you know, learn how to be more embodied and feel more instead of have all these ideas trapped in our heads. You know, like the 53-year-old woman who wasn't having an orgasm. It's because all these ideas in her head... Or that's what she was hearing. She couldn't even feel her own body, you know, when she was making love. 
Yeah. And, and so I think we have to learn to be in our bodies and to feel again and to unnumb ourselves and, you know, to let go again of, of the shame and, and to use that as a way to stop a lot of the abuse or violence that's going on. You mentioned the word sacred and sex. I know a lot of your work is based around tantric sex. And that's mm-hmm. like when I walked in here today, I was like, yeah, I want to learn about this tantric sex because yes. it's it's a word that's thrown a lot <laughs> around in the yoga community and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know exactly what that is. I think people would be interested in that. So I want to regroup our thoughts here a little bit and mm-hmm. talk about that specifically. Like what, how would you define tantric sex and where does it even come from? Yeah, tantric sex to me is understanding that sex is like anything else. Um, like in yoga, it's the yoga of sex. So we have three layers. We have our physical body and then our psychology and then our energy or our soulfulness. So sexuality is happening on three levels all the time, but most people are so shut down, they're only experiencing it mentally. Or even if they're physically having sex, it's all mental again. You know, it's somebody who, like a woman who can have an orgasm, is physically having sex, but so stuck in her head that she's not experiencing the physical side or the spiritual side. And the same thing a lot of men so I, I think that, to me, uh, tantric sex is, is understanding, again, that there's, it's the yoga of sex. So how, how can I be more present? How do I breathe more? How do I acknowledge the other person, my own body, feel, get out of my head, you know, get into my nerve endings? I teach a very simple exercise. Um, so if you want to play along for a second, and everybody at home can do this. It's very PG, but... Um, so take a few deep breaths. So I call it the bliss breath. You can bring your fingers to your like throat. And in yoga, they'll call it ujjayi. I call it the bliss breath. But inhale, exhale, you make that kind of Darth Vader sound. So. And exhale. And again, inhale. And exhale. And when you're breathing deep like that, I want you just to kind of feather light touch, maybe your own hands. And so for me, even just hands become incredibly erotic and more sensual. That's funny. I know a girl that has a hand fetish. (laughs) She's like super obsessed with like a man's hands. Interesting. But you know, it's 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 just no. But I feel that when when we just when we just did that, I was like, wow, that feels really good. I'm just you guys (laughs) listening. I'm just like like a spaz sitting here stroking my the own back of my hands um but yeah there's the touch method imagine imagine if that was your meditation yeah and so i have a friend who works at google x and he said you know i'm really good at doing but i want to feel more and i said how about when you wake up instead of trying to meditate by like getting out of your body what if you got into your body and do this touch method for just a few minutes every day that's like really good, very subtle foreplay too. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing foreplay with another person, but yeah. it's even just to feel your own energy and be aware. So tantric sex then, I mean, is it an official system like Hatha yoga, Kundalini yoga, this, that, tantric sex? Is it a thing or is it just like a general model? Or is it like, oh, it started in India and you know, 2000 BC and what? <laughs> I mean, is it like an actual thing? It's an actual thing. There's, so just there, like Kundalini Yoga. So yeah. if you want, like, you know, you just start with finding your Mula Bandha or your root lock. Okay. Okay. But in a lot of yoga, they take the sex part out, put the sex back 
in because okay. you're a sexual being. Inhale, squeeze your sex organ. Lift that kind of orgasmic desire or feeling to the top of your head and exhale, send it back down, back side of your body. And again, inhale, squeeze. For men, that's kind of like your Kegels or the area, your sex organ, sex energy. And you can kind of feel. In Sanskrit, the, I believe they call it the taint. Um, yes, that is Sanskrit. Exhale, <laughs> relaxing and letting that go back down. And so this is how men can actually learn how to edge as well. But really, <laughs> so good. I'm sorry. It's so hard for me not to interrupt you because I'm like <laughs> identifying so many things along the way. I'm carry on. So edging for men would yeah. be that, and for women would be um, self pleasuring to the point that you feel you might be ready to climax, and instead of releasing the climax, you would hold on to that and inhale, squeeze those muscles. Pull the or- orgasm like up to the top of your head, kind of hold it as long as you can, and exhale, send it down the backside of your body. This is so funny because, as we discussed before we started recording, I've been practicing Kundalini Yoga for about five years, and mm-hmm. I talk about it on the show all the time. And earlier in life, and I don't know if this is because I was younger or whatever, but when I had sex, it was like I was talking to a friend, a guy friend of his, like, oh, I have a problem. I can never come like having a hand job or like oral. And I was like, are you kidding? God, it's like hard not to. I was always on the side where I could climax a bunch of times if I was given a span of time. But when I was first with a partner, especially in the beginning, it was really hard to hold it back. Mm-hmm. And this went on for a long, long time. After I got used to someone, then I could control it. But at first it was like difficult. And then when I started doing Kundalini Yoga, I just became like the master hold backer edger just because I started like, no one told me to do it, but I just, during sex, I started using some of the Kundalini breath holds yeah, and yeah. like holding the mm-hmm. bond and, and moving that energy. I just thought of it and no one ever told me to do that. And it permanently like fixed that and made it so that I have whatever kind of control and can always be kind of at that point that it feels really good because for, for well, guys, like once, once you climax the first time, like even if you can do it two or three more times, it's like, eh, it's never as good as that first round when you like ramp up and you don't go past the point of no return. Like mm-hmm. that's the, always the best one. And the techniques you're describing make that possible, which if you're a guy listening, like do you teach men's courses at all? I have, I have some men's courses. Okay, good. Take yeah. her courses because what, <laughs> what she's talking about right now, you guys, is fantastic. So the okay, carry on. edging for men, I think, yes. is but is important. And, and one of the things you're describing is the ability to relax when aroused. And a lot of men aren't taught right. this. And again, go back to just like scenarios where if you're never given any education, you never you're in a culture where women are always like covered up and sexuality is a secret. As soon as you see sex, it's explosive. Um, and so learning how to relax and be in a state of arousal. I think is really important for men to learn how to edge. And for women, can actually have multiple orgasms in a more full-blown way. Um, you bastards. Yeah, but, you know, we have to do a lot of other things. You, you guys have, have childbirth yeah, and, and menstrual you know. cycles, so it's cool. It's even. You it's know. even. Yeah, but I always, like, envy that in women. I'm like, really? Like, But wait, but here, so, so here's okay. how I teach people in a very practical way. So you would... Okay. If you were edging, you would get yourself to that point that you were like, you know, close to orgasm or climax. And then you would stop yourself and take a deep inhale. And then really just even visualize moving that energy to the top of your head. And exhale, send it back down and around. 
and you can move it. It sort of goes in a circle. You can, like, yeah, but right? really you have to, so inhale and squeeze the muscles and lift the energy up and then exhale. And you can let it flow back down. Yes. And that's, for women, I teach something called O-Yoga, where I teach them how to like inhale and really squeeze and then exhale. <sighs> like, let, let the energy go. During sex, though, would it, since women are multi-orgasmic and their performance is not like dependent on them having not climax like a man, um, is there any point for a woman to edge or like hold back an orgasm? Or, or should they just like <laughs> let them wave out and as many as you can have, go for it. You made it to nine, go girl. I mean, is there... <laughs> Does it make it more intense if they kind of edge and hold back and then have a sudden, you know, I, massive I think that, tsunami that one? Learning how to edge means learning how to allow yourself to have more. For, so, so for women, if a woman can learn this, like, oh, yoga, inhale, squeeze and lift and hold it, and exhale, ah, hold, then they can become multi orgasmic and have full body orgasms. Oh, right. So for them, it's really then an understanding that if I fully contract the muscles and then fully relax the muscles, I like go that, in this wave. Right. I like what you're saying, the full body orgasm, because mm-hmm. when you're with a woman and they take, they or you take the cheap shot, which I consider a cheap shot of like just a quick clitoral orgasm, it's like, eh, it's not as <laughs> impactful. But you can start there. That's, I, I right. just consider the doorbell. Okay. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> right? You yeah. know, you know yeah. you're like, ring the doorbell. The clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings, which is twice as many as the penis, if you didn't know that. So, again, God, that's crazy. it's, and it's, think it's about very the... interesting that women are taught that we're less sexual than men when, in fact, oh our bodies God. are built to have multiple orgasms. Our clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings, whereas the penis has That 4, is the 000. most bullshit, like, <laughs> belief I've ever heard. To me, women, I mean, an awake woman such as yourself, a mm-hmm. woman that's connected and just owning her body and her energy is like like a, a walking fucking orgasm sex machine. Like, they just radiate you know, so, so I tell people now, it's like, that. I, you don't have to have sex to tap into this energy. Yeah, I like... And, and, and yeah. so it's just the energy, what we call shakti. It's like chi. Yes. And if you don't have shame and you don't have ignorance, you can actually just be in this state of being like turned on to life all the time. And it makes you more magnetic. It makes you uh, more creative. Oh, I just had a revelation too. And if a woman has high self-worth and self-love mm. and doesn't have shame, she can actually radiate that without using it as a power trip and a manipulation tool, well, you right? Well, really sound, is it, like so... Because their sense of self-worth isn't like, look at my tits, look at my ass, look at the sexual energy. It's just like, I think a yeah. powerful woman that really embraces that femininity doesn't actually need to use that as a piece of commerce. It's like... Well, I, I mean, as a female, using it as a piece of commerce is not what any woman usually wants. It's, you know, I remember being in my 20s. And, and like, I mean that figuratively, no, I mean like, just I'm, like getting attention yeah, no, no, and whatever. Being in you my know? 20s and some of the first jobs I had working at companies and being objectified and having, like, it's not usually what they want, but it's all there is. Yeah. So I think that that's why learning how to own your own body and how to not have that shame and how to feel like, again, allow that sexual energy to be there, but have boundaries, be able to use your voice. That's where I see a lot of my female clients and students just come alive because now they're radiating that energy 
Whereas before they might have like held it back. Like I had one woman I worked with and she was so funny. We were working on a documentary and she goes, I wore high heels to work today, son. And she's like, she's like, not because I had to, not to get attention from men, but be, she said, I've spent 20 years like dressing unsexually to be taken seriously. Right. Right. So she's like, I put right. on high heels today because they felt good to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I want, I Absolutely. walked around feeling like I feel good. I feel sexy and I don't have to either play it up or down to be taken seriously in the workplace. Exactly. As a man, and I think any guy I know at least would agree, when a woman has self-worth and is also beautiful and sexual and connected to her body, like... There's like <laughs> there's nothing that can stand up to that. You know what I'm saying? It really is. Where if you see like a woman that is like physically in a superficial way sexual and like putting that energy out, but you can tell it's coming from a place of weakness, mm-hmm. it's not impressive at all. I mean, yeah. you might be like, oh, I'd like to have sex with her, but it's not. It doesn't have that kind of magnetism. Well, I think and when and a fully awake about- and beautiful woman right. has, it's like. Joe, shit, what do you want? I mean, you want to serve them. And I mean that in the most positive sense. I mean, that's the woman. And maybe serving them means not having sex. Maybe like, again, like yeah. I mean, like can create a human being or a project, yeah. a business, art. How do we serve? I mean, that kind of energy just commands like the best from a man. Mm. Is what I'm. Is, I think is what yeah. I'm getting at. Like when you encounter a woman like that, there's a certain. I don't want to say respect, but just a reverence, and you're like you're on board with whatever they have to say. That's like the real power mm-hmm. of a woman, instead of just the empty sexuality of using that sort of seductive energy to get her way. But when a woman's fully empowered and has that, it's like fuck. Okay, <laughs> look out. That's unstoppable. It's crazy. Um, I, you know, I think that we, we all need to have sexual empowerment, you know, yes. men need it, women need it. We all need yes. to not have shame and to really own that and own how we like move with it in the world, you know, and, and like, what is it that you want? And, and I think you use the word self-respect, whereas for a lot of people, sexuality has been shamed so long that the things that they're doing, they don't feel really respectful. Yeah. Who's more afraid of physical and sexual intimacy, generally speaking, in your opinion, men or women? I think, you know, in my experience, if we're talking about orgasms, you know, like a lot of women are having sex but not really present and not allowing themselves to release into that full orgasmic pleasure. So that obviously that's a lot of fear, I think, in truly being intimate and letting go of control in that moment. Whereas I think men do it on the other end where they like numb themselves out, you know, and be a man. And so I think it's pretty equal. I think in our society right now, we really need a, a whole new revolution around sexuality and, and like having a sex positive culture. Yeah, I've noticed that myself. And it seems like men in general have a bit harder time with the intimacy that's like soul intimacy. Mm. Whereas the physical intimacy comes a bit easier. No, no. So for men, the physical intimacy may come easier. Right. But you might but have a heart, woman having the heart intimacy. What she says, she's like, I feel so heart connected, but she's not having an orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That totally makes sense. So yeah. in either case, I think there's like a holding back of intimacy. Yeah. yeah. And in my experience, holding back the emotional intimacy and holding back the love and the heart is 
so painful and devastating. Mm. Maybe in the same way that a woman being shut down physically and not be able to express that degree of sexual intimacy might mm. be for her. Yeah. Interesting. Never thought about that. <laughs> That's why I love having these conversations. I'm so lucky. Like my job is amazing. You guys get to sit and have these uh, convos and I learn so much. I've been accused, like I've not accused, but I've gotten feedback from some of the listeners every once in a while, not many, but a couple emails were like, you talk about yourself too much and you ask too many questions <laughs> that are like about you and that, and you talk too much. And I'm like, Dude, this is my show. This is the shit I want to know the yeah. answers to. Yeah, if, you're like, you get to go on my journey with if, me and yeah, learn like, tantric sex and all these other interesting things that I wanted to Exactly. Learn. I've like I really am learning as I do these. It's such a mm. gift to be able to talk to people like you and actually just learn things that I want to know. And mm-hmm. hopefully there's enough people out there in the world that have the same questions. Mm. Uh, we started to go into men and orgasm and the semen retention thing. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed John Gray on my show. Mm-hmm. And he his thing, and Dave Asprey has a thing on it too, as you said. Um, John Gray was like, because he was, you know, went to India, was like a yogi for all this time, meditator, didn't have sex for nine years, like did this whole trip. And his take on it was that it's really unhealthy to hold it back and that you should ejaculate once a week or so. Mm-hmm. And then you have like, you know, the more hardcore kind of yoga people that say you should never let it out at all and, like, you're wasting your chi and all this kind of stuff. And then you have, like, the more biohacker guy like Dave Asprey who's like, scientifically, you lose testosterone if you bust this many nuts, (laughs) blah, 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 you know? It's like... I've never been able to learn the technique where I can have an orgasm and without, with no hands, look mom, no hands, um, hold in the actual ejaculation. I've known men that claim to be able to do that. I don't fucking see how that is possible. I know how to do it by blocking the tube so that nothing can come out. And here's the thing that I've noticed is if I do that... I have much more energy the next day. Like I don't fall asleep afterward. I don't get like the weird sort of orgasm hangover that mm-hmm. I get and some men get when you're just coming too much. So that's been my sort of hack. But when I talk to um, John Gray, he's like, oh, you definitely don't want to do that. That's horrible for your prostate and this and that. I'm like, yeah, but I don't really like having sex without climaxing, but I don't necessarily want to be ejaculating like three times a day. I'll like get nothing well, done and I'll be super tired. So what's I don't up with think John Gray told you to come three times a day? No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He said three no, times a day. No, no, no. I'm just <laughs> saying that's that would be my natural propensity. If I have yeah. like a lover I'm vibing with, like I'm I'm not gonna ever hold it in. So when it comes to the male orgasm and ejaculation, what are your thoughts on that whole trip? Um, I, I think that there's definitely something called, so in India they call it ojas, and they say that a man is born um, or is born with a certain amount of this sexual virility or ojas. And it doesn't kick in until you're a teenager, and then obviously you hit you know, puberty, it and yes. you're, it's happening while you're asleep. <laughs> so, right, right. so there's ojas <laughs> coming yeah. out of your ears, and, yeah. um, and and that the longer, <laughs> but they in in ancient Taoism they say there's only so much ojas any man has during so, one lifetime. In one lifetime, so they say so. If you can learn to hold that back, you'll live longer. Right, it'll increase your Yogi Bhajan talks about this. He he did. Um, how old was he though when he passed? Uh, he was young. Yeah, he was young. Yeah. So my guru, I went to India and I studied for nine years, and I studied ancient forms of tantra, but I studied the goddess worship form. And what my guru said is, every man should learn to withhold orgasms so that 
he have some function of control over his own sexual id or sexual energy um, and be able to make a decision if he was going to release that and share the orgasm with his lover. But the way that he put it was is sometimes it can be a very beautiful thing or an expression of, you know, sharing that energy. But I think it's like anything else, like jazz. There isn't yes and there isn't yeah, no. Yeah, I know. Now, Dave Asprey's point is that most men haven't even thought about probably practicing semen retention. And then you have John Gray saying, I didn't at all. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're both very extreme. Yeah. And, and what I'm saying is, though, I do think you probably have to practice not um, ejaculating for, for a period of time until you can control that right. and have a choicefulness around it. Is there a way specifically, is there a way, do you think this is an urban myth or legend that a man can have a full-on orgasm and no liquid comes out of their body without doing anything Um, except using their mind and will to stop that? Uh, Honestly, most men I know who say that they do that have a more feminine type of orgasm. Like more of a full body wave kind of thing? And more feminine type of man. Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Yeah, so I think that... <laughs> I just can't imagine that. Like, when you have... Men can have more multiple orgasms. Because the orgasms... They can learn how to cycle the energy of the orgasm. Right. Okay, yes. Okay, so just like we said, inhale. And, yeah. And you can actually... I know men who definitely have multiple and full body orgasms. It's not the same, I think, as a woman having right. full-blown multiple orgasms. Right. Well, they if have you to just, hold back a little bit. Yeah. If you just listen to the audio of a woman coming versus a man, you can tell there's a lot more going on for the woman. So, okay. <laughs> so we just want to find maybe a way where you're not totally, quote unquote, wasting that energy mm-hmm. indiscriminately, having well, some consciousness around, like, how, if, if okay, you're a man, again, how much you're orgasming. If you were a man and you didn't have all these blockages, you didn't have a lot of shame around it, then how would you express that? That's the question. How would you be embodied with that? And I think there would probably be a healthy amount of full release with your partner and then also the ability to know when you want to retain that and hold on to that that chi or that ojas um, to do other things for business, for work, Build a business. Yeah. Yeah. And actually they used to call it sex magic, so the longer you would hold in orgasm or your sexual energy, you can redirect that focus to other things. But I also do believe that you could equally use it as worship. You could say, I'm giving my orgasms right. to those spiritual well, focuses. Napoleon, or, or those, any kind of focus. Yeah, uh, Joe, our, our buddy here that's helping with the recording, he was saying on the way over here, reminded me of Napoleon Hill, who yes, talked a lot about... He talked about um, transmutation of sexual energy, yeah. which is called sex magic. So okay. Transmutation yeah. of Sexual Energy is in a book called Think and Grow Rich yes. by Napoleon Hill. Okay. He doesn't say how to do it. it. He says there was a time, you know, like Napoleon or um, other like great artists, um, entrepreneurs, Henry Ford, I think he's, he cites all these people. He says, you know, really learned that they had a high erotic drive, but they learned how to give it focus. So understanding if this is the energy that can create a human life, and that's how potent it is. It could also create a business or a painting. It doesn't, I think, always mean, though, actually physically having sex or not physically having sex. Right. It's actually just tapping into the flow. Yeah, Napoleon Hill's trip, too, seemed to be... Because he kind of came out of this, like, 
Christian scientist new thought movement era. Mm -hmm. And so what I took away from him was he was definitely a proponent of monogamy and having a wife. Mm. He's like, if you're in, um, you know, a committed relationship and you guys are supportive of one another, then you're not running around banging a bunch of people. I'm paraphrasing. He, of course, sold Napoleon. But he's like, if you just stick with one person and you really build a life with them, that the two of you become this sort of well, force I, of nature and you're not squandering it, running around chasing well, well, tail. If, so if you just set aside some of the ideas there and just think of maybe the idea of I have a partner and we both have a shared goal. Right then we would both be directing our sexual energy to the same shared goal. Cool. Right. Yes. And, and then that lets go of the, the yeah. ethical side of... Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I mean, I just... Because around the time I started reading a lot of Napoleon, I was in a committed relationship for about five years, and I built a great business during that five years because mm -hmm. I wasn't running around squandering that energy. And that relationship was not sexually driven. It was like mm -hmm. not a big part. Of, it was a great relationship. There's a lot of other things that were wonderful, but sex wasn't a huge motivator in that particular one. And I, I was reading that book a lot and listening to his lectures during that time. I was like, God damn it, he's right. When you're not running around like banging half of Hollywood, you can actually get some shit done. <laughs> and then again, you have like people who are doing that or. Are... <laughs> yeah, those, well, those people are freaks of nature. I don't understand. Because like, I've known a lot of guys, especially like entrepreneurs that are really, really wealthy and successful. Not, not name dropping. No, no, not at all. Um, and they have sex with a lot of women and still bring it. Mm -hmm. One guy in particular I know is in real estate. He's a beast in business, mm -hmm. and he's, like, banging a different girl every night. No problem. Gets up, goes to work, produces an immense amount of value in the world and money and all that. I'm like, how do you do both? It seems, for me, it's kind of one or the other. But anyway, thank you for that. Well, so, so then the question being for you yeah. right now, where do you find yourself on that scale? I think a happy medium. Mm -hmm. I think I... I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with sex at this point in my life. It's not like the driving force, but I'm also not denying it. It's mm -hmm. just, it's not like hugely important to me as it has been for most of my adult life to a fault. It's seems to be kind of in a nice sweet spot right now. And I am quite productive and motivated, but I'm also able to do it if the situation is appropriate. One thing I have noticed actually, and this will segue us into the next question though, Something happened where, like, I basically lost the ability to have casual sex with impunity. Like, mm -hmm. it just doesn't, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Which is totally fucking weird because my whole adult life, like, as long as I was honest with the people and I was like, inte had integrity yeah, yeah. and was fucking cool and not being a creep, no problem. I could do whatever I wanted. And it's that I've become a little less interested in that. But also, um, does a man as they age, do you think men become less able to just, have sex without an emotional commitment. Now there's like a common sort of belief and I don't know if this is true that women get attached more easily when they have sex and they they have a harder time like disconnecting emotionally and just having a physical sexual experience without getting involved and then guys have no problem doing that, you know, stereotypically mm -hmm. and generalizing. And I was always that way and then I sort of switched where it's like I don't know. I'm kind of like a, a girl now. It's like I have to be very careful who I get involved with on that level because I'm super, my heart's super open and I'm super sensitive and kind of receptive. So mm -hmm. I, I have to be very sort of careful about that. So do men change as they get older? Or do you think that's just a byproduct of becoming more open hearted and conscious from doing tons of freaking yoga and stuff? I think, you know, probably both. 
<laughs> I think I think and hormonally know, too, maybe hormonally, yeah. Like we said, teenage boys just have so much of those hormones. But if you're doing yoga and you're more kind of aware, and probably your own desires and what you want are different than what they used to be. Like, yeah, you know, you probably want to have a higher value exchange than you used to instead of just getting off. Maybe that's what it used to be to you. Right, right. Very astute. <laughs> a very simple a- answer to a complex question. <laughs> Do you think just trend-wise, though, men in general, I mean, I guess men settle down as they get older, but... Is there? Do you have any empirical evidence or data, hormonally or otherwise, that would say like, as men start to age, they just well, they can't... have less testosterone. So, okay, yeah, and so. would maybe more estrogen then, where they become more sort of like sensitive or something like that. Um, especially probably if they're doing uh, practices that bring out that side, that more feminine side. Right. So if you're doing practices to bring out your more feminine side, you're going to feel the more feminine right. side of your sexuality. Oh, uh, so that's true. If you're doing yoga, um, if you're doing meditation, you're probably going to feel uh, more of your feminine side. Yeah, because I've talked to some other guys around my age that do a lot of kundalini, and I've said, like, has this happened to you? I'm kind of like, come here. You know, like, can you, like, not run around and get laid anymore? They're like, are you kidding me? No fucking way. Can't do it, man. Can't do it. But it's you're like, in a yoga class full of hot women, right? So. Yeah, but I don't I don't go there. I don't go there. <laughs> not, not there for that. Oh, I've done this thing called white tantric, which is like a kundalini mm-hmm, yeah. thing. It's like an all-day thing. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do with sex. So I think I want a little clarity for people about the word tantric. It seems to be used in a multitude of different ways. Do you have a way to explain that that makes sense? Sure. Um, So Yogi Bhajan was a really amazing teacher. And I think being an Indian teacher, he came to America and people were like, what's tantra? What's tantra? And he made a distinction that isn't in India between white tantra and red tantra. That is not one of the older distinctions in India. Um, so so he just kind of made that up. Well, he shouldn't help people out. So he oh, was okay. like, so he's like, <laughs> okay. you know, it's still tapping into what we almost consider that sexual energy. But white tantric would be to take that energy and sublimate it away from your sex center or having sex. And red tantra would be to utilize that into having sex. Cool. Thank so, you for that distinction. Because yeah. when you do the white tantric course, you do it with the partner, not mm-hmm. like someone you're with or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just had this... No, no, like you and me right now. I, I do something called the kiss meditation. Okay. So the first K is for kinetic, meaning we're in our bodies. The first, Then I is for um, intimacy. Then the first S is for slowing down. And the second S is for sensuality. So we would like, if you put your hand on heart and just... Breathe at the same time and look at each other in the eye. And that's, you know, you start to tap into that kind of very, like, beautiful wavelength of human empathy. Yeah. And that could be then taken to a form of foreplay, or that could be just taken straight into your meditation and use that energy in that more white-tantric way. That's cool. Thank you for clarifying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. That felt really good, too. It just totally slowed everything down. <laughs> it's funny, as a guy, like, I don't know, I guess unless you're into this stuff, you would never be with a woman and be like, hey, let's like super, let's really connect and get this really <laughs> intimate bond. You're just like, foreplay, escalate, 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 ejaculate, sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like well, I think this it's, kind of more, I think this it's more beyond, subtle realm, you know? empathy. Right. Even. It's like... 
you know, I think we have these roles. It's like, oh, even sexually, like, be this kind of man for me or be this kind of woman for me or be feminine or masculine this way. What if we were, you know, really empathetic as human beings? And when I looked at you, you know, and your eyes are the windows to your soul, and I looked at you and I was like, well, there's there's another, like, human being, you know, and, and be able to actually feel what you're feeling. Yeah. And next I let it go. Yeah, that's, I, you know, those exercises are like in the, some of the Kundalini yoga and in the white tantric where you have a partner and it's, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be female. I've done a lot of them with males too, but I feel myself like so terrified of that closeness and that intimacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes a lot of like courage and consciousness just to be able to allow myself to be vulnerable in that way, which is Mm -hmm. really interesting. It sort of shows the pathology in our culture, especially probably for males, that why is it so fucking hard just to open your heart and like let someone really look in your eyes and just be present with that person for a moment and be totally vulnerable like that? It's, it's I mean, interesting. I think, but I think most of us, and that's not just a male thing, it's like it's oh, okay. scary to, you know, we can get naked with our clothes off, but to really be naked <laughs> right, and, and, right. Like, and be seen and see each other is, right. is scary. Yeah. Because I think that most of us have been taught that there's something about us, you know, that would make us unlovable. Right. Or, That's the you know, shame. Mm-hmm. Like at the deepest, deepest level, it's like if I really let you see me, oh, fuck, what are you going to see? Yeah. And what you see, you might not, you might reject or, that. Or might not accept. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I've said some of the deepest things I've ever experienced. I mean, sexually, that's very deep, but... You know, like this summer, I was at a refugee camp in Greece, and I remember one of the boys there came up and he was talking to me, and I just did that like kind of open eye, you know, meditation with him, and I was like, "This is really hard to just feel what he's feeling and be a mirror." Wow, that's good stuff. I and thank you for clarifying the tantric energy and the two different sort of teachings and forms of it because that clears a lot up. It does. In India, we um, actually they're called um, there's the right hand and the left hand, not mm. red and white. So the right hand path is the path that is like for everyone and doesn't as much involve your sexual energy. And the left hand path would then have the forbidden exercises so they have like the five forbidden things one of which is sex. yay forbidden <laughs> well the 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 one time i went to the all-day tantric workshop uh the girl that i did it with i mean i think i fell in love with her like that day <laughs> honestly and we ended up being in a relationship as a result of that day oh, wow. it was really profound yeah so i always mm. tell people when they're like oh i want to go to white tantric i'm like Pick your partner wisely <laughs> because, like, it can really, really open you up. I mean, some of these yogic technologies are no joke. It look, if you watch people doing some of the stuff, like, we just have our hand on each other's sternum and we're breathing. It's like, yeah, whatever. That's lame. What's that going to do? Do that shit for eight hours, you know, mm-hmm. under kind of a formula, applying some certain principles, and it's hugely powerful. It's very powerful, I think, to connect. And we live in an age with so much disconnection. And so I think we really need to find ways to connect. But I also think, like, my grandparents didn't connect. They were just told, you know, get married, procreate, have kids. They weren't any more connected. I probably, you, you know, so, yeah. so this is a unique opportunity in time for us to be able to, you know, to connect, to drop the shame, to own ourselves, our sexualities, our bodies, and to have better lives because of it, better relationships. Awesome. What are your feelings on group sex 
<laughs> Boom. What, what did I was John like, Gray left say? field. I took a nice pause. I don't ask everyone the same questions. You get your own special I questions. Love it. Uh, I get the group sex. I questions. myself, I mean, I've experimented a lot. I've been very mm-hmm. open in this area and I've had sex in a lot of situations where there were definitely more than one person in yep. the room. Um, I it's think- not something I'm like, currently have any mm-hmm. motivation toward but what's up with that just historically and and now um so they're actually you know if you look at the kama sutra temples and ancient egyptian carvings like orgies are not new and multiple partners threesomes is not anything new i think that you know there was a time where for me i'd never done that and so it was kind of exciting to explore that taboo and now it's a lot less exciting <laughs> because I would rather have a strong sort of connection with one other person yeah. than, yeah. you know, than to kind of like feel like, oh, there's all these different energies and all these different things going on. But I think, you know, like, you know, there's definitely there's something wrong with that. And I, I have friends who teach that, you know, uh, read about sex. He's all about play parties, <laughs> you know, and I just find that, you know, I, I'm usually like, I'd rather go home. I've got, you know, yeah, a lot of things I want to work on tomorrow so maybe that are important it's, to me in the world and, and a play party is lower on the scale. Maybe and, it, and two people really looking at each other and being fully engaged. I think there's no room for anyone to check out, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. so... Not necessarily unhealthy, something that one might no, want I mean, to experience. Again, I, th- I think that that shame is always a problem. So, so if you make people ashamed about the idea of um, polyamory, or they're more likely to act it out and or repress it and do unhealthy things. I don't think there should be any shame around it. And if someone has interest in group sex or learning about polyamory, there's you know um, great books about it and and communication and again I think authenticity to yourself and not having shame is the most important part but um, it's it's also not like you know ding 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 you won the big you know gold medal because <laughs> right. you know because right. uh, I think I think anything like like some people who are poly are judging people who are monogamous is not as good as them And then some people are monogamous or judging people who are poly as not as good as them. And people aren't just measuring according to themselves. Have you ever seen an open relationship be healthy and fulfilling and long-lasting? A few times. I think it's challenging. You know, I think think it's very challenging. and, And we could say that that's human nature. We could say that's primal. We could say that's our culture. But I also, I just think it's the way it is. And I have seen some people have long-term open relationships that are explicitly like, we are poly, you're with other people, and and they last a long time, and it works for them. But it is a a, a small percentage. I I tell people who are in, sometimes I'll meet, you know, couples, and they've been together a long time. They're starting to, like, get bored. (laughs) And they'll be like, do you think that's a good idea? Should we start being poly? And I'm like, you kind of have to just recognize that it's not about the ethics, that it's right or it's wrong. It's really about understanding you're introducing something that may destabilize. Now, if you're willing to risk that for excitement, then that's okay. And I often say there's like hunters and farmers, you know, and that farmers are are people who are more likely to want to come together. Like you said, you were in a relationship and you're like, we're going to do this thing. And you focused on your work and you both shared a goal. And that was really 
great, you know, and then sometimes you have people who are more geared towards wanting excitement. And, and so that's what drives them more than the stability. Yeah, that's cool. That's a, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah, I like the idea of taking the morality out of it because I mm-hmm. think that's what a lot of people have a well, problem the mor- with. Morality you know? causes shame. And, right, and, and, and then we end right. up in this loop where we aren't authentic. Um, and, and I think that's the worst part is, is, is when we aren't able to just be authentic about our sexuality or what we want or who we are. Um, that's, that's where yeah, we just being seeing. open and honest mm-hmm. about it. It's like yeah. when you're in a relationship as, as a guy and it's like, you don't feel that you can be honest about being attracted to a woman in the room and you're at a party with your girlfriend and you're trying to hide the fact that this girl is super fucking hot, but you're <laughs> acting like you're not noticing and that you're not into it. Whereas like the repression of it makes weird stuff more likely to happen yeah. versus if you could have a conversation with your girlfriend and you're totally open and she's like, Oh, you, you want to fuck that girl? And you're like, yeah, Totally. Then it's like the cat's out of the bag. You don't have to do it. You don't have to think about it. It's like it's sort of. Or you could have a conversation with yourself. Well, even. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think most people have so much shame that they're like, "Oh, I think that other person's attractive. I shouldn't. I'm bad. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's yeah. It's my partner's fault. Oh, and it they can't even be just okay yeah. in themselves in that conversation. Like, I'm a human being. I find multiple people attractive, but you know, these are the choices I make, the actions I take. Um, sex is very strong energy. Yeah. You know, so I think what what we do with our bodies and how we have sex is very important that we take responsibility for it, but take responsibility from a place of value and sex positivity and healthy sexuality. Yeah, I think the communication too is just so like the open, like radical honesty thing mm. between partner or partners is what's so important too. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't it, isn't that where a lot of strife comes in relationships when, A, I mean, obviously you have to be honest with yourself and be able to identify your own motives and boundaries and all that, but isn't it destructive to a relationship to not have an open dialogue about like what's going on between us and other people and this and that? I mean, I- I think just viewing sex, like I said, sex is yoga, right? Sex is sacred. It's like praying. It's like meditating. It's like eating. All these things should be done mindfully. So radical honesty is just being more mindful and not carrying all this suppression and shame around what you're doing. And then I think that will reflect in making better choices and better behaviors. But the real thing is the mindfulness of sexuality, the mindfulness of that being a very natural energy in all of us. So whatever that is for you, you know, like I said, if you're at a point in your life that you're like, uh, you know, I meet some people and they need, you know, they, they want to leave a relationship, but they feel too guilty. So they cheat or people who are having sex and can't orgasm, whatever that is, they just, there's so much repression and suppression that they can't just really have value for themselves, the other person, and mindfulness. So, so I really my, mainly a proponent not of any specific morality, yeah. but of mindfulness around sexuality and um, and and being able to connect and be intimate without all that shame and just being sex positive. That's awesome. I love your whole attitude. I've learned tons from you today. It's fascinating. It's really fun for me to sit down with a woman too and talk mm-hmm. about this stuff. Because this stuff, 
us guys sit down and try and figure out together. It's like, we're like, don't talk to them. We're no, like, no, no, yeah. No. We're by, like, by, by the same way, it's the same. Women sit down and we're like, blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. and like nobody, you know, like yeah, it's a like, bunch of women talking about sex and complaining about guys. And guys that's sex. what I'm saying. There needs to be more of this. Like, I'm so glad we're broadcasting this on Instagram and Facebook and we got a video and we're doing the audio for the podcast. I mean, it's like... Mm-hmm. These conversations at one point in my life would have been a lot more awkward or uncomfortable even just to sit down with a pretty woman and like talk about this stuff. Now I don't give a fuck. Like I just want to learn and I want to help other people to become more fully integrated and healthy and whole. But it's, it is fascinating getting a perspective from the opposite because the other people I've interviewed about this have been men. So it's like, you know, hmm. it's easier for us to kind of understand each other. So it's been really enlightening. I want to thank you for yeah. sharing so much no, I think, wisdom. I think the feminine, again, is just, let me, sh- if you don't mind, I want to. No, go that, off. That Do meditation, right? yeah. the kiss. Yeah. So that's one of the ones I teach people. And again, in a very feminine way to me, but men get this too, is just tapping into this energy even if it doesn't mean having sex. So will you do something mm-hmm. with me? It's called I'll do yes whatever breath. you want. Because you're setting up and you're going to inhale, reach up. Okay. And Those of you listening, exhale. you're going to just have to imagine this. Inhale, raise your arms to the sky and exhale, pull your elbows down and hit your ribs and you go, yes! Yes! And yes! 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 yes, 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 yes. yes. Hold your arms up. Ah! <sighs> Isn't that beautiful? And see, <sighs> that's a connection, especially now. So you could even then inhale, squeeze those sex muscles and exhale. <sighs> Let it go. Inhale, squeeze and exhale. <sighs> Let it go. And it's this feeling of that shakti or that sexual energy that isn't always about having sex. Yeah. It's being tapped into this flow that's awesome Mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining me today this is going to bring (laughs) a lot of value to a lot of people good what would you like to share that you're working on do you have what do you want to promote in terms of social media your websites your programs like what are you super excited about right now do you want people to go see um, so right now, I mean, uh, people can go to my website and I have a Tantra for Women program called the Jade Egg. And I think every woman who has a vagina, which is every woman, should <laughs> learn how to, you know, utilize. Does it involve inserting the Jade Egg? It could. And, you could okay. use the, or, you know, God, the I wish that would have been one of my egg, questions. But you okay. can also just okay. visualize it and squeeze when you inhale and exhale. Let it go as a woman. So inhale. Squeeze and then exhale, let it go. And then you can do that alone on your own to build up energy, or you can do that with a partner and that'll help you control having orgasms, multiple orgasms. Um, Rad. So that's a program that what I have a, on my what website. A gift of a program, <laughs> which is lucky the, ladies. Um, women's Tantra Jade Egg Program. And then I have a um, orgasmic. Tantra massage video course and that shows how you can actually have orgasms through um, just nipple um, so as so you were saying earlier like your breasts actually especially for females there's so much oxytocin and so your whole right. body is so orgasmic and I forgot about the oxytocin mm-hmm. part and so we've forgotten how orgasmic our bodies are and, and so women from hugging from breastfeeding from nipple arousal have oxytocin, which is the love and bonding hormone, and uh, orgasm releases serotonin and dopamine, 
so all of these like really amazing happy hormones are associated with that sexual energy. Rad. And so you can learn how to do that tantra massage on yourself or um, how to give it to partners. So you could, for instance, learn how to give a woman a tantra massage. I think I massage. should learn that. <laughs> Add that to my repertoire. I think you should. I like it. Okay. And, and a then... woman can learn how to do it for herself. Cool. And learn that, you know, that as a goddess, your whole body is orgasmic. There's uh, something I wanted to ask you, too, my closing mm-hmm. question, and that is, so you've taught me tons today. You've taught our listeners and viewers tons. Who have been three meaningful teachers in your life or teachings that you've drawn from that we could also go check out? Um, so three meaningful teachers was my my teacher, my guru in India. I went for nine years back and forth. I studied with him. I, I, um, I really wanted to, like, learn these principles and learn how to then bring them back in a modern way. And that was like my lab was going to India, learning some of these things, coming back, teaching the yes breath, teaching the women's tantra like jade egg, teaching how men can do the edging, um, seam retention, and, and in general, just teaching people not to have shame. Um, Is that a, does that teacher have a name that someone yeah, could that's, look up? Um, Amritananda. He's no longer with us. Okay. But a beautiful teacher. And really changed my life, helped me to, I think, um, do a lot of my sexual healing, let go a lot of my own trauma, and really step into this role of, of, um, of being, uh, you know, like, uh, I, I feel like, you know, I did meditations with him, and I felt like I saw myself in ancient Egypt doing priestess work. So I feel like that's a very Amrit important... Amrit Ananda. Amrit Ananda, and cool. Amrit means nectar of... Um, immortality. So Amrit Ananda of, of, so the Amrit of joy. Cool. Which is also related to the sexual fluids. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So going back to the idea of, is it okay to release your sexual fluids as a man or not? Sometimes it depends on your, even your mindset. If you do it with shame, then it won't be as beneficial. If you do it with a sense of you know, worship or meditation or mindfulness, it actually can be a very beautiful experience. Cool. Yeah. And All right. So, give me two more. Uh, two more teachers. I ha- I also had a uh, Native American Lakota teacher, and I went and I studied with him and uh, watched them do sun dance ceremonies. And in India, I learned through tantra and pleasure that we could um, actually rewire our brains and our nervous systems. And in the Lakota system, sometimes they used pain, um, and and as a way of purifying, but. That teacher was important to me because he said that my job was to um, learn how to just be happy in this lifetime and, and, and not to suffer. And I thought that was very beautiful teaching. Uh, and then, let's see, one more teacher. I had one of my first yoga teachers was very strong and tough with me and made me have a core. And he said, you know, it's fine to say you feel God and you feel all these things, but can you do it in this human body? And can you do it? You know, holding plank pose. Can you do it when you're under stress? Uh, and that was, a, to me, you know, instead of spacing out or spiritually bypassing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, I've heard you talk about that a few times of, like, sort of the cop-out of, like, oh, I'm just going to float away and, like, be in bliss. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what about harnessing that energy and actually doing good works with it? here you know i think Mm -hmm. that that's what i'm more into i love to space out like the next guy and get all blissed out with breathing and yoga and meditation and stuff but it's like then what do you do with that 
Well, I said, connection, well, what, you what know? Are we I like that, for? that you embody that. Yeah. You know, well, we're embodied, right? So sex brought you here, and now we're here. So, you know, why are we here? How can we participate? How can we make this be a beautiful and joyful experience? How do we make heaven on earth right now? So my girl in India used to also say we can get to a point where um, it's as if everything you do is making love, and every inhale is is like an in-thrust, and every exhale is a letting go, and you're just making love to everything all the time. God damn it. What a great way to end the show. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Despite the tragic nature of this particular episode, I truly hope that you were able to derive some benefit and find some joy and sense of hope in Psalm's message. And again, I'd like to offer my deepest and most profound condolences to her friends, family, and fans. Mm-hmm.